Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Your story is an incredible testament and evidence to the truth of the gospel. That it's not just some hopeful fantasy for those who are struggling, but it actually has real power in the struggle and also in every other aspect of our life because it's true. And the story we're going to share today is one of those. Today we're going to hear from a gentleman named Glenn Ware Sr. And many of you may recognize him because he often likes to sit in the lobby before service and enjoy service from out there. He is uh, partially blind, so he loves when people come up to him and introduce themselves because he can't always see them. And he loves to share his story. And my guess is if you've ever met Glenn or had the privilege of getting to talk with him, he's probably told you about his family. He's got a beautiful story. He has kids that he's incredibly proud of, grandchildren that he loves, a wife that he adores. And if you talk with him for even five minutes, you will know that he is incredibly comforted and contented with the beauty of his personal family. But Glenn's story, a piece of Glenn's story, is also in church and through Jesus Christ, discovering more. Despite the beauty of that, discovering more than he even knew he needed or was looking for, something else in this place through Jesus. So, Cape Cod Church, I'm excited for you to hear this story. So please sit back and enjoy as we hear from our friend, Glenn Ware Sr. And we started dating, and I got her to go on a date with me simply by getting tickets for the New York Jets because she loved Joe Namath and she wanted to see Joe Namath. And on our second true date, we started talking and pulled out a calendar and marked the date that we were going to get married. People don't believe in love at first sight, but I do because it happened to me. I recently had a situation with my heart again, and I was going to have a catheterization in a few days. For the first time, I was very concerned about having that procedure done because I've had so many of them done previously. I felt that my odds were starting to run out. So I mentioned, I talked about that one Monday night and Tom Main asked that we all pray for me at that meeting when Tom started praying, one of the other men stood up and put his hand on my shoulder and stood behind me praying. I could hear him praying very intently for me. And I walked out of that meeting and the fear that I had was gone. With that group, I feel that I now have 30 brothers who will do anything for me at any time, whenever I ask. And that is just a wonderful 
feeling to know that I have true support from so many people. I don't think that my life could get any fuller. When we moved up, we knew no one on the Cape. And now I feel that our family has really expanded the family to an unlimited number of, of additional people. So I couldn't ask for more. And I feel that my life is as full as it can be. I used to be the guy that walked on the other side of the street just to not have to talk to people. And now I sit, I walk through the door on a Sunday morning and I am looking forward to talking to whoever I see. Stories are powerful. They are the way we draw meaning out of life. How we share ourselves with others. How moments become family folklore and journeys become lessons. Stories help us see the world with fresh eyes. And our world is full of billions of individual stories from countless perspectives. But what if all our stories pointed to something greater? One beautiful story that made sense of the world. And what if stories had the power to live forever because they were made to? This is your story, my story, our story. This is The Story Project. Well, good morning. I think Glenn is somewhere in here. There he is right there. Would you help me to thank Glenn for sharing his story with us? I was telling Brittany that one of the things I appreciated about the story this weekend is its simplicity. It's the kind of story that happens a hundred times every week at Cape Cod Church and in churches just like it all around. It's the story of community and building family. In fact, it's the second of our five commitments. If you've been to our Discover class, you've heard me talk about this. And if you've been around Cape Cod Church long, you've heard me talk about this idea of a commitment to community becoming family. What does that look like? What does it look like to create family? And why is it so important? It turns out we're not the only ones who think it's important. In fact, earlier this year, the U.S. Surgeon General declared we have an epidemic of loneliness. Those are strong words. An epidemic. I mean, nobody really wants to bring out the word epidemic anymore. An epidemic of loneliness. He said it is one of the most under-recognized issues in our society. The statistics that come with it are, wow, fascinating. Over the last 30 years, the number of people who say they have three or fewer friends in this world, three or fewer, has gone from 49% 
almost half, down to 27%. I don't even have three people I can call a friend. In the last 20 years, young people, the amount of time they spend together, ages 15 to 24, when you should be pretty much at your most social, has dropped from 150 minutes a day to 40 minutes a day in just 20 years. So, an epidemic of loneliness. In fact, one of the statistics talked about, or one of the, the details talked about the physical impact of loneliness. And here's what it said. It said that it has the same medical impact as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a stunning analogy. But here's what I like. At the end, the Surgeon General said this, we need to create a culture of connecting. He might as well have invited everybody to church. At least that's how I see it. That's why it's one of our five commitments. Community that becomes family. And so I wanted to talk about that. And it's a theme that we return to with some frequency here at Cape Cod Church. Community that becomes family. And I want to talk about how to do it. And I want to do that from one of the most famous conversion stories in all of history. And if you would allow me a little latitude in how I explain it, it may have been the most controversial visitor to ever visit church. And the story takes place in the book of Acts, and it, it takes place in chapter 9, but if you want the context, you have to go back to chapter 7. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the, the makeup of the Bible, we, the New Testament begins with four biographies of Jesus, and then there's a book of history. And it's really the history of uh, what happened after Jesus left in the early season of the church life. And it just details how it happened. And in chapter 7, it introduces us to this guy named Saul, who was, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was the religious enforcer for the religious leaders of the day. He was the guy they sent out to do the dirty work. And he was the kind of guy who was willing to look the other way and bend the rules. Oh, you're going to kill him? Let me just look over here for a little bit of deniability. He was public enemy number one for the church. And then, famously, in chapter 9, he has what has become known as the Damascus Road experience. He, he, there's no other way to explain it. He encounters Jesus. The risen, resurrected Jesus appears to him, and he is changed. But it's a very private, personal conversion. Only he really knows he's been changed. So in chapter 9, it tells us that the Lord appears in a vision. This, this man, who we know almost nothing about, he's, he's a, a small character in the story. We know this, and then he disappears for the rest of Scripture. 
His name is Ananias, and he says that he has a, a, a vision or a dream from the Lord, and the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to this street. And he gives him the name of the street. And I want you to go to this house, and when you get to this house, there's going to be a man there, and I have appeared to him, and I want you to welcome him in. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take him to church. His name is Saul. <laughs> and this is where we should read what happens, because the next piece of the story, I think, gives us this beginning of a journey of the ways we can be family as a church. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. This was Ananias' response. He says, But Lord, um, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. This guy is, he's, this guy's famous. Everybody knows you do not trust this guy. And he is authorized. Listen, Lord, he's here because he's, he's trying to take us out. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But I don't know if you know, but this dude is bad news. In verse 15, the Lord said, but the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and as well to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake listen Ananias this is going to be hard for him and hard for you and what makes this story profound is that Ananias goes that's all he needed the Lord said listen this guy this guy has got potential And Ananias does it. He goes. When I read that, getting ready for this weekend, the, the thought that occurred to me was, what kind of person is it that goes and does that? What kind of person is it that, that, that risks it all, that just says, all right? It occurs to me that it's the kind of person who sees the potential in someone and not just the problem in someone. The kind of person that says, come, come. And I, we have this habit of, of sanitizing scripture. And, but can you imagine, right? This guy walks into church at Cape Cod Church on a Sunday morning. Right? He comes on the patio. Tom, Mark, they see him. They're calling security. Uh, keep an eye on, Right? He goes, he gets a bagel and a mocha latte or whatever, and he sits down and everybody's walking by. What's he doing here? Who would bring him into this house? Who would say, come and sit with me? I know what people are going to think and I know what people are going to say, but you come and sit with me. We'll work it out. And, and I, just, I just wanted to begin right here with this idea that, that what, what creates 
This kind of deep bonds of family is, is a, a community that's willing to, to risk it all, a community that's willing to say time and time and time again, hey, you come and sit with me. I know what happened. I know what people think. I know where you've been. Just come and sit with me. But people, don't worry about people. And there's something beautiful and powerful about a community that lives that way. You see, Ananias disappears from the pages of history, but for a moment, he's right there. He's right at the center of it. He is that guy, and we don't know why other than that he was willing and God went to him. And in that moment, what what some historians believe was the second most important moment in history. Like the moment that crafted our Tom Holland in his book Dominion makes a powerful, secular historian makes a powerful case that the life of Paul and the teaching of Paul, Saul who became Paul, was one of the most powerful moments in history to transform culture and give us the world as we know it today. And it happened because a guy was willing to say, I got you. I'm with you. Let's go. Don't kill me. I mean, there's an unspoken nervousness in there. I mean, he's, he, he, it's human, right? It's like, Lord, are you sure about this? Because this guy's got, I'm sure, I'm sure. All right, I'm in, Lord. If you're sure, I'm in. If you're sure, I'm in. Come and sit with me. Watch what happens next. Uh, verse 17, it says, So Ananias went and he found Saul. And laid his hands on him and said, Now watch this, brother Saul. Hmm. Brother Saul. <laughs> Ain't nobody ever called Paul that before. Nobody called Saul brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, so that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you the story. I'm here to do a little bit of discipleship. Brother Saul, I guess I like this because it's such a, a powerful picture of this idea that happens in in community that becomes family, the idea of, of belonging. And he does it with one word, brother, brother Saul. The Lord has sent me. You'll receive the gift, the indwelling of the Spirit, the thing that every believer has, and it's what keeps us in common, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit residing in us, and what happens is what we have in common is stickier than what we have in conflict. And because of what we have in common, the Holy Spirit residing in us, it makes us family. Brother Saul. 
I, I asked some of our uh, leaders this morning at an earlier prayer time how many of them, and I didn't, I didn't get, but I grew up in a tradition, a church tradition, old school church tradition that loved to use the title brother and sister. Anybody else grow up in a church where it was, okay, there's a few of you out there, brother so-and-so. They would be like the end of the service, brother so-and-so, would you stand up and lead us in prayer? And it always, I'm gonna be honest, it weirds me out. Because if you bring your, church, your friend to church, they're like, is he his brother? Are you all related? Okay, I gotta go now. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, you're all related. Everybody's a brother and a sister here. Oh, listen, I'm not advocating a return to, hey, brother, hey, sister. I'm not advocating. In fact, sometimes I think it was so superficial that it lost its significance. But what I am saying is we should not underestimate. We should not lose our grip on that sense that we are more than a crowd. More than a gathering. Glenn captured it in his, in his statement that I've got 30 brothers. And if you've been a part of a small group community, no matter how big or how large, and you've poured yourself into it, you know that all of a sudden there's this sense that they're, they're this is more than an event I attend. This is a, a community, a family that I'm I'm a part of it's it's belonging this is part of how our crowds and congregation and community even becomes family there's a a place a sense of belonging watch what happens next this is good instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight, and then he got up and was baptized. <laughs> My goodness, how the mighty have fallen. I mean, one minute this guy is marching into town with legal papers, and people are cowering behind their doors, shivering in fear. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The next minute, they're leading him around. A blind man can't find his way. And he meets this anonymous man and scales. I, I think of it like a, like, 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 like a crust, like just his eyes had just crusted over and, and it just starts to fall away and his sight returns. It's messy, it's gooey, it's... And then the, the public act that he had sought to squash out, baptism. Instantly, this man is going down into the water. There, there's something about this. There's a, there's for, for Saul, there, there's, before he can become the leader the world would look to, he had to open up, there was a place of, if I could use this word, vulnerability. Do you want to know the one key 
to building deeper relationships. That's it. Vulnerability. We have to be vulnerable. We have to open up a piece of our lives to other people. I was getting ready for this and I, I took some time just thinking it. I don't have a single friend in ministry or outside of it. And I mean, I'm talking about a close friend and I feel blessed to have a, a, a great collection of deep friends. I don't have a single one that isn't built on vulnerability. I had a friend who a couple years ago, we, we, had been, we had been casual acquaintances and things had brought us together and we were, we were spending a lot of times talking, but man, there was always a, there was always a distance. And I can remember the exact moment where sort of out of the blue, I didn't see it coming, there was, there was a vulnerability on his part. And he opened up and I didn't see it coming. And it was like a switch went off. And it opened up a bond in our relationship. See, vulnerability is the door that we go through to deepen our relationships. Have you ever, uh, you don't have to say where, just, I just wanna ask you if you've ever, you ever been driving and you're driving through a, an area and you feel a little bit unsafe, a little, like, like it's a little sketchy. I'm not saying where, don't. And you ever reach over and click lock your doors? <laughs> I do. <laughs> do you ever do that and you're afraid it's so loud people on the outside can hear? <laughs> I do too. I'm like, but I still do it. Click, 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 click. If I'm really nervous, I press it a couple times, right? Ooh, that's not safe, not safe, not safe, not safe. Lock them out, lock them out, man. Keep it, keep it. Them out there, me in here. Speed up a little bit. Contrast that with maybe you're driving down your road and your, your neighbor's out. And you decide to say hi, and you, you roll the window down. Just long enough to have a little conversation. Hey, right? Just roll it down. You're not stopping, though. Just roll it down. Hi, roll it back up. See, see we're, we're, we're sometimes, we're like, we're like people with the doors locked. Maybe we got the window down, and we think because we got the window down, and we're, you know, and the people, the car next to me's got the window down, and we're driving the same direction. We're friends. No, you're in traffic. And your air conditioning's broken, so you got the window down, but it's not, you haven't, you haven't, there, but there's something that happens, there's, there's something that happens when you, when you stop, and the window goes down, and then, and then, you, you open a door. Because when you open a door for someone, you're, you're inviting them in. This is vulnerability, right? It's, it's inviting someone into your life. 
And it's there that these, these bonds and, and relationships, it's there that family is built because I've, I've stopped the car, I've unlocked it. And listen, some of us have been so hurt. We don't trust anywhere. And everywhere we go feels like that unsafe neighborhood. And the, and the sound everybody hears is click, 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 click. You're locking the door to your family, to your coworkers, to your friends, even to people in the group that you open the word with every week. But something, something powerful happens when, when we open and we're, we're vulnerable and we, we share the pieces of our life that are struggling or broken. There's one last piece to this, this idea of risking and then of belonging and opening. But there's another piece that happens in this story, and it's, um, it, it's worth just reading what happens after. This is the aftermath of it. It says, Saul's preaching. We're jumping down to verse 22 now, and Saul wasted no time. He was, he was a radical convert, and he took all of the power and influence that he had previously had and he turns it to, to telling the story of Jesus. And it says in verse 22, it said, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus, and so he stays in this little town of Damascus. He's been converted and he just want, he's telling everyone he, that, that the one that he formerly persecuted, Jesus, is actually the true Messiah. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. The hunter becomes the hunted. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. Now watch this. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Saul, it's time to go. I wonder if somebody was thinking, man, this guy is a lot of work. I mean, everything was kind of good until Paul, but my, man, he has stirred up a hornet's nest, but look what God is doing. We need, we need to take care of this guy. We need to protect this guy. And they lower him down. Happens all over again in the next verse. Says Saul arrived in Jerusalem. He tried to meet with believers, but they were all afraid of him. Same thing. No, 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 no. We know you. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, that's Ananias' replacement, brought him to the apostles and told him how Saul had seen the Lord in the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and he went all around Jerusalem with them. He's back in the big city now. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. 
He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they, here we go again, tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Okay, time's up, Saul. <laughs> They're going to kill you. You, you got to, time to, we can't afford to lose you. I read this, Damascus to Jerusalem to Tarsus, and if you know, you know Paul's story, Saul, who's become to us Paul, you know that his story became one of an itinerant preacher. He, he would go and he wouldn't stay long. Three missionary journeys around the world establishing churches. But it starts here. Really, it starts when Ananias goes and then a group of people say, Saul, listen to us. We're going to hold the rope, but you're going to go down that basket and leave. We can't lose you. We're going to hold the rope. I wondered where I might, where I might finish with this last point. There, there's a, a, a number of things we could say about it, but... I wanted to just take a minute and talk about the role of bearing burdens, of carrying the weight. All through his ministry, Paul would be the beneficiary of people who took care of him. Hold the rope, save his life. Watch out for Paul. I mean, it's like he's got a security team around him. In almost every book Paul would write, and he wrote a lot of them, he paused for a minute to thank the people who took care of him. Some of them who brought him food, some of them who protected him, some of them who were companions, and lots of them who financially funded the work he was doing. And he just wanted the world to know about these people who were part of bearing the burden. I think this is part of what it looks like to be a community where we, 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 we bear burdens. And, and if I could, I, I think there's a beautiful piece to it here. We come together every week and over the last couple of years, we don't, we don't pass the basket or the, the old plate like we used to have in years gone by. We've got boxes at the exits and weird QR codes on the chair in front of you and online given and all the stuff that goes along with that. Those are just tools. They're just the ways that we invest in the work God is doing. I just want to add some meaning to that. I just want, I, I want to remind ourselves together that whatever we're giving, we are, we, are, we are like those people holding the rope so Paul can do the work. The team of people that serve here at Cape Cod Church, I'll tell our group this afternoon this, but that team of people, almost all of them, with a few exceptions, started out here as volunteers. They were just, they were visitors, and then one day they became volunteers, and then some of them literally decided they were going to devote their entire life to the work of the ministry. And when you click that QR code or put something in the box on the way out, you're, we're, we're bearing that burden together. And we don't just do it 
just there, we, we're, we're investing in next generation leaders. We've become intentional about when we find young people who are, they got a passion for the Lord, man, we're like, hey, we want to be a part of that. Come, come and serve for a summer. Come and serve on one of our teams. Let, let us show you what it looks like to be a part of a team serving Lord and giving your life to that cause. And we support literally dozens and dozens of partners around the world. I was, uh, I was working on this this week and an email popped up in my inbox. It was from a young woman who's from our church. Some years back, nine, eight, maybe ten, not more than that, she went on a missions trip. And man, she went on this trip with us. Tom was leading the trip. And while they were in South America serving, man, a light went off in her head. And she's like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to give my life to. And I got this email from her this week. And she is, she is serving as a single woman missionary in a restricted access country that is majority Muslim. And she just, she's, she's over there serving, building relationships, part of a team, learning the language. And I started reading through her letter. I get lots of letters, and I, I confess I can't read them all, and, but I read all of hers. She's part of our family, and I just want to know. And I, I read the letter, and... It broke my heart a bit. I'm reading it and, and I can just tell there was some loneliness she was serving on the other side of the world and someone who'd been a friend that she had cultivated relationship with and then the, the barriers popped up and but the tone of her letter was so hopeful and optimistic but honest I read that, and we send, we send financial support every month, but I just stopped what I was doing, and I wrote her a note back. I just, I was so encouraged by her faithfulness that I just wanted to, wherever she was at, whatever the time zone was at, whenever she happened to wake up and read that note, I wanted to be a voice of encouragement in her life. I want her to know on the other side of the world, there's a church praying for her. Holding that rope. That's what family looks like. People who take risks, come and sit with me. I don't care what people say, come and sit with me. People who open up and are vulnerable when the whole world around them is saying, keep it close to the vest. Don't let them see you sweat. And the community of people that pour their resources together to bear the burden so that the name of Jesus and the hope of Jesus and the life that Jesus wants to give can be known to the world. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed in just a, a moment to, to reflect. Maybe you want to take this moment to 
to pray for this young woman. We don't, we don't share names on digital because the country that she serves in is a restricted access country. Or maybe you just want to pray for her. She's been here before and you may remember her name, but God knows it. Maybe you want this moment just to pray that God might give you the courage to be open. Listen, I'm not saying that you, you unlock the doors for everybody and anybody. But I'm saying deep relationships are built when we open the door through vulnerability. Father, we want to be the kind of church, the community that says, come. Come and see. Come, sit here right next to me. The kind of community that opens the door to those who are far away, those who are struggling, those who are unsure, the skeptic and the cynic. And Father, we want to be a community of people, a family that bears burdens, that prioritizes our resources around the work that you've called us to together, that sees every gift we give as a part of your plan the work you're doing here and across the street and around the world. Thank you, Father, for this place and these people and all that you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.